Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Well, we are in a series as a church body called Wildfire, and we've, we're going through the book of Acts. If you've ever read the book of Acts, it's one of the most exciting books of the Bible as we see this early church begin to grow, and we see the gospel spread like wildfire, and that's kind of what we've been studying together. I'm going to jump right into our passage today, and then we're going to kind of begin to unpack it, but um, I think what I'm going to say today will make way more sense by just reading this first, okay? So if you have a copy of the scriptures and wanna to go to Acts chapter four, we're gonna start in verse 13 and read through 20 and then we're gonna to jump to 29 and 31. Um, last week, we saw um, how God was healing through the disciples. It was this incredible story of uh, Peter and John. They're going up to the temple and they see a man who's been begging there. He's, he's been uh, lame since he was born. He's never walked before. And he's, uh, Peter is prompted and he speaks to the man and he tells the man, silver or gold I do not have, but what I give you, or what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And this man is healed, an incredible um, crowd is forming. They share the gospel. Thousands more people uh, believe in Jesus as they see this man healed. And now we're kind of, we're, we're on the tail end of this story because that's not where the story ended. In fact, where it led them to is they were being questioned by the elders, the chief priests. They did not like um, this new teaching that these guys were sharing about Jesus as the Messiah. And so Peter and John are taken into custody and they're questioned the next day. And Peter just begins to share with them of what power was this man healed. That's where we're at in the story. Verse 13 says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus." Verse 19, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So they're being questioned and they're, they're gonna be commanded, we see, not to preach anymore in this name. They're, look, hey, you tell me what's right here. 
to, to listen to God or to listen to you. We, we are unable to stop. They go back to the church. They tell them you know, all the things that have been happening. And they, it says they pray together. They raise their voices together. And God, if, if you skip to verse 29, this is what they prayed. It says, and now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Um, this week as I was studying this portion of scripture, um, this theme of boldness was in bold for me. I mean, we see this over and over again, boldness, boldness, boldness. God, give us boldness. They pray for boldness, and then they're filled with the Spirit, and it says they speak the word of God boldly. If you were to look up the word bold in the dictionary, you'd see that it means fearless before danger, confident, able to take risks, standing out prominently, right? If you're writing an email and you want someone to like get this thing, like here's the main point of this email, don't miss this, you put that in bold because you want it to stand out, right? It means to be assured or courageous. And um, I was thinking about my life as a young man, I, uh, I would not say that I was bold. Like, in fact, if you were to take all the opposites of those, like, those words that I just listed, a fearless, confident, able to take risks, standing out prominently, assured, courageous, I was kind of the opposite of all those things. I was the kind of guy that if, if I was in this room and all of you looked at me and, and for whatever reason paid attention to me, I would just turn red and I would like melt into a puddle on the floor, right? That's just how I was as a young man. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, like where you feel like you're not bold. You're not bold. I was an aspiring musician, and I would, I would play my songs. I've told you all this before. I used to want to be George Strait, so I'd get my, my country twang out, and I'd sing my country songs, and I'd sit on the tailgate of my truck, and I would play my country music. And I had close friends that were like, you're really good at this. Or my family, hey, Chris, you're great at this. And then the family gathering would happen Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, and they'd say, Chris, play us a song. And immediately, I'm mortified because everyone's going to look at me and they're going to listen to me sing and all the eyes are going to be burning through my skin. As I'm, you know, It's just, I was not bold. I was incredibly shy. And I had a battle with boldness. I've had, in my life, crises of confidence. And here's what I think. I think that some of us come out of the womb more bold than others. Do you have friends like that? They are the first ones to speak up and to step out, and they're like, they'll walk into a room and yell, hey, everyone, look at me, right? And you're like, God, stop, like, stop taking all this, right? Because they're just naturally bold. Some of you, you came out, and you're just more reserved. You're more quiet. You, you would prefer that people don't all look at you, right? You'd prefer not to have all the attention. You'd like to blend in. You're just 
more reserved. And here's what I believe. I believe that no matter where you fall on that spectrum of incredibly bold or incredibly shy, I think that every last one of us will struggle with boldness and confidence in our life. We we all will. Um, One of the reasons why I think this is true is that the self-help industry is a $10 billion a year industry. That's a lot of money. And guess what they're selling us? Most of it is confidence. We are trying to buy boldness. We'll read the books. We'll, we'll listen to the CDs or the tapes or the MP3s or whatever. And we will, we will do all kinds of things because there's something in us that admires it. We admire confidence. We look to people who have boldness and confidence. We, we look to leaders who, who possess boldness and confidence. There's something in us that's like, I want that. I'd love to have more boldness or more confidence. It's something that we all will battle with. I was thinking about all the other industries that are built on self-confidence. I mean, think about um, all the face creams that you can buy, right? When you go in the shopping mall and they have that makeup section, and it's this massive section, and it's like, you know, it's all pristine and white and and shiny, and and there's makeup counters everywhere, and it's like all that face cream. It's like all of us dealing with the stuff that makes us a little more insecure, right? I was thinking about, uh, for men, all the, the hair control, Right, we're trying to either get rid of hair or add hair somewhere, right? We're trying to deal with hair because we're like, I, I think I'm a little insecure about like my hairline or whatever. Just thinking about diets. All dealing with insecurities because I think we're trying to get an edge on our confidence. We'd love to have a little bit more. Buying our boldness, and we all battle with boldness. We will have crises of confidence. And and here's the thing. I think this passage tells us something incredibly important about that, something universal that we all struggle with. And here's my big idea. If you want to write this down, this is the big idea, and then we'll kind of build on this throughout the rest of the sermon. The effect of Jesus on his disciples was boldness. Think about that. The effect of Jesus on his disciples was boldness. In verse 13, he said, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, if you're like me, and I think about the traits of a disciple, the effect of Jesus on a person, I think about more loving, more kind, more humble, more compassionate, more gracious, more merciful. I think about all those things, but what I don't think about is boldness. But the effect that he had on his disciples was boldness. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, this is not like um, an, an inconsequential moment for them. 
Think about where they're standing. These were the men who crucified their Lord. These were the leading men of Jerusalem. These were, this was like the DC of their country. This was the capital city, and this was the temple. This was the place of all religious life, and it's in this place at the pinnacle of their society where they're being questioned. Now, now put yourself in that moment. Standing in a prominent a city like, uh, like Washington, D.C., and you're before the leaders of the whole land, and they're questioning you. And if you're like me, I think I would want to do that thing where you just kind of melt into the puddle on the floor. Like, I, uh, I will, I don't, I don't. You know, like I would just start maybe falling apart. But that's where they're standing here. Uneducated, untrained. Like, what's up with these guys? Peter was a fisherman, right? He's like, I, I, I worked on a boat. I'm good with a net. You know, like that was his resume. And these uneducated, untrained men were full of boldness. Now, jump over to verse 29 and just see this with me. As they're praying, it says, And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, right? And began to speak the word of God boldly. The effect of the Holy Spirit on the believers was boldness. Now, in our day, here in America, in the Bible Belt, when we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure this is what comes into our minds. We think of great worship services, right? It was inspiring. The band was anointed. That word was on fire. The spirit moved. I raised my hands. I never raised my hands, but I raised my hands because the spirit of God was, right? We think of things like this, of sensational worship services, but what, what the, the marker of the Holy Spirit upon the church was boldness to proclaim the gospel. We talked about that at Pentecost. When the breath came in, the gospel came out of these people. Like the spirit brought Boldness, the effect of Jesus, the effect of the Holy Spirit on his disciples was boldness. Now, if this is true, what are we missing? Why do I have battles with boldness? Why do you have battles with boldness or crises of confidence? Like, why do we struggle with these things? Well, I think this passage is incredibly poignant for us because one of the key characters is Peter. And we know a little bit about Peter, his story throughout the Gospels. And so I think it's, it's incredibly important to, to, to notice Peter because he was the one, the first one to step out of the boat. Jesus, is that you? He's stepping out of the boat, he's getting in the water, right? He was naturally bold. 
He was a natural leader. Peter was the first one to speak up. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of, of the living God, right? He was the first one to, he, when, when Jesus is um, in the garden and the soldiers coming to arrest him, Peter's the one who grabs the sword and he's like chopping ears off, right? He is naturally bold, naturally bold. He would have what we call self-confidence, he was a self-confident person, sometimes to a fault, but self-confident. But we know about Peter. In fact, Luke twenty-two thirty-one through 32, Jesus is preparing him. Jesus saying, look, I'm about to be crucified. Here's what's gonna happen. He tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brother. Satan asked to sift him. Now there's a whole sermon wrapped up just in that thought right there, but Satan asked to sift Peter and here's where our natural leader, our bold proclaimer, the first one to step out, the first one to speak up, he's in the uh, courtyard and Jesus is being questioned inside. He's being falsely accused inside. And in a culture where women were not thought of as equals, but as much less, a young woman says to him, weren't you with him? I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't even know him. And you know the story, three times our naturally bold leader denies his savior. Three times. He had his own battle with boldness. He had his own crisis with confidence. And, and I, I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, I'm not naturally bold. So maybe for those of you in the room that are naturally bold, like this is something for you, but this is not for me. Well, here's the thing is that um, if, you, if you think about it like a spectrum, and on one of that spectrum is paralyzing insecurity. Like, I, like I'm so paralyzed by my insecurity. The other end of that spectrum is that I am like, I am arrogant. I am prideful and arrogant, and I will just speak my mind about anything, and I don't care who you are. That's the other end of that spectrum, right? So we have, we have paralyzing insecurity to just total arrogance, and I think that we think, like, we need to land somewhere in the middle, right? Like, I don't want to be insecure. I don't want to be arrogant, but if I could just kind of find that middle place somewhere, but here's what I want you to see, is that Satan asked to sift Peter, and Jesus led him. He allowed it. Why? His confidence was self-confidence. And Jesus let Satan knock his knees out from under him. He let him be sifted. 
because the confidence, the natural boldness that he had would not enable him to stand at the Washington DC of his nation at the Temple Mount and be questioned like this. It would have not had the power to propel him, to make him firm and stand in that moment. It was not sufficient. Self-confidence is not sufficient. And here's what I want to say. If your confidence is built on self, it is not sufficient. And, and absolutely, our insecurities are all about self. And I think Jesus is still allowing us to get the wind knocked out of us. You ever had that happen before? As a kid, you fall down, the wind knocks out of you, and you're like, I feel like I just died. Like, I don't know what's happening. And then finally you catch your breath. I feel like that's what happened here. Peter got the wind knocked out of him. Here's my point. The effect of self-reliance is unstable confidence. That's the effect it has on us. The effect of self-reliance is unstable confidence. God wasn't done with Peter. It wasn't over for him. Jesus met him on a beach after he resurrected and they'd gone back to fishing and they see him, right? And you know, Peter jumps out of the boat. Peter's, I mean, Jesus is cooking on the beach and he, he asked him three times, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? He asked him three times. What's he doing? What's Jesus doing? He's restoring him. He's, he's moving that boldness off of self and onto the resurrected power of Jesus. And here's the thing. Something had to be killed before Peter could be filled. Something in him had to die. The cross had to come before resurrection could come for Peter. Something had to be killed before he could be filled. And here's what I think is probably our problem today is that we want the filling. Yes, Lord, Spirit, fill me today. I need your confidence. I need your help. But Lord, please don't kill me. Because I like my life right now, and I like to do what I like to do, and I really don't want you to start jacking with that, but I would love for you to fill me, but please, Lord, don't kill me. We want the filling without the killing, but the cross always comes before resurrection. It always comes before resurrection. And here's the thing. We're not after self-confidence. If you've bought the books, How to Become More Self-Confident, you don't have to read them anymore. That's not what we're after. Church, here's what we're after. We're after supernatural boldness, the kind that comes from knowing Jesus. Here's my third point. Jesus wants to make you into a bold disciple. He really does. He still does. Just like the 12, he wants to make you into his bold disciple. 
And here's, here's how he does it. He takes us through this process. It's a little bit of a killing, and then it's some filling, and then it's a killing, and then it's a filling, and then it's a killing. It's like this, this whole cross-shaped life. And here's what he does. He reminds us that it's not about us. We're like, what? <laughs> you probably know this, but we, we swim in a sea of isms that tell us that it's all about us. Right, humanism, materialism, consumerism, individualism, all of those little isms shape everything that we are seeing and consuming and watching on television and every advertisement that, that comes on your screen. Everything is telling you that it's about you. It's about your happiness. Life is about you. You only live once. Take, you know, seize that moment because it's all about you and Jesus comes in with this whole other message, and he's like, I love you. Like, I died for you, but it's not about you. It's not about you. We have to get the wind knocked out of us before the wind can come into us. You ever heard that, that, that saying, you're full of hot air? <laughs> Meaning, you talk like you know some things, but in reality, there's no substance to what's happening here. And he has to knock the hot air out of us. And this is all about the glory of God. It's all about Jesus, our Savior. It's all about his kingdom. And our lives are to be lived in service to that. Right? We're, we're to serve him, to glorify him. And this offends us and then it frees us. Because if we're honest, if it's all about us, we're in big trouble. Because that's, that's actually, ter that's a terrible way to actually live. It offends us and it frees us. Second thing he does is he gives us a new identity. This is so huge. Like if you're gonna be a disciple of Jesus, you have to get this. It's so important. He gives us a new identity. See, we know that story about Peter because when Peter makes that bold confession, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus looks at him and says, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. You see, the Lord has a way of renaming us. You've seen that in the scriptures before. Jacob becomes Israel. Abram becomes Abraham. Saul becomes Paul. Simon becomes Peter. He has a way of renaming us. And what he's doing is he's giving us a new identity. For me, as a young man, playing my guitar and wilting every time somebody looked at me, right? What, what was happening is that I had hung on to some, some things that had named me. I remember being a, a young kid. I was probably maybe late elementary, maybe middle school, and I was uh, at the school. It was after you know school was over. There were some extracurricular activities going on, so I was there, and I was playing outside, and some other kids had come from a different school uh, for a, a, a game or something. They were playing on the playground, and I remember climbing on the monkey bars, and I hear one of the kids say, hey, where's that, that ugly kid? And I'm like, who's he talking about? Then I realized he was talking about 
me. And that's, it seems so small, so minor. A kid on a playground. But I think every one of us has some stories about some things that kind of got stuck into us. Maybe it was your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your sibling, a coach. They, they, they put that name on you. You're, you're stupid. You're, you're not very smart. You're not the brightest bulb in the light fixture. You're, you're, you're ugly. You're rejected. You're dirty. We all have had things that have named us. And Jesus has come to rename us. He's come to give us a new identity. He tells us this. (laughs) You're loved. You're accepted. You are chosen. You're adopted. You're a new creation. You're forgiven. You're clean. You're justified. You're holy. What? You're holy. You're a son or a daughter. Jesus renames us. He knocks the wind out of us and he says, no, no, here's, you think I'm trying to kill you? I'm not trying to kill you. I'm trying to save you. And then he gives us a new name. And it's the name that we always wanted. The name we always needed. And he fills us with a new identity. Then he fills us with his spirit. I mean, can you fathom that? Like, if you, if you could really see your own condition, like, like, if you could really see, like, the perfection of God himself, holy, like, righteous, there's no evil, no darkness in him, he is pure light. I mean, he is holy. And you and I, we're the opposite. We, we have thoughts that come into our minds that are just terrible, we, we have attitudes in us that are absolutely offensive to him. We, we do things and we say things daily, daily, that are, are an absolute affront to his holiness. And Jesus pays it all, all of it, so that the spirit of that God could come into this heart. He fills us with the spirit and the effect is boldness. And lastly, he never leaves us or forsakes us. That was the promise of Jesus to his disciples. I will never leave you or forsake you to the very end of the age. Like I am not going to let go of you. Like we just sang, I will never let you down. Never, ever, ever gonna let you down. I will be with you to the very end of this age, all eternity. So he reminds us that it's not about us. He gives us a new identity. He fills us with his spirit. And then he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. We will never walk alone.
He wants to make you into a bold disciple. Absolutely wants to. And I was, I was kind of nailed this week with verse 20. If you want to look at verse 20 with me again. These bold fishermen standing before the uh, leaders of the land. They're ordered not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Verse 20, he's like, we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Do you catch that? Like, it's, I, I, like I'm, I, I'm not trying to be dis- disrespectful, sir. Like, I know that you're like ruler here. I can't stop. I'm unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And here's what nailed me this week. These guys were unable to stop, and for much of my Christian life, I've been unable to start. Lord, I'm unable to start speaking about you. How many people have I known, and I I know they don't know Jesus, but I was unable to start. Broke my heart. So, here's where we're going as a church. This fall, um, we are going to emphasize what we're calling find and follow. We, we want to help people find and follow Jesus. My prayer is that we could get filled with this same spirit of God that filled these guys and that we would like, be unable to stop talking about all we've seen and heard. I want to share a little bit with you about our area. We, we have a five-mile radius here, and in that five-mile radius of our church, there are 200,000 people. That's a lot of people within five miles. You can kind of see that star there. That's about where we're sitting right now. And of those 200,000 people, according to the 2015 census, 120,000 of those people are unclaimed by any religious group of any kind. 120,000 of them. That's 60%. Now, of the 40% that are, they are claimed by every kind of religion under the sun. Some are Christian, some are not. Okay, so at very least, we have 120,000 people that are unreached or disconnected within five miles of this place. We have a massive mission field. 34,000 of these are kids. Oh, wow, we need missionaries for our children, don't we? 34,000, age 17 and under. And here's my challenge for us. Of the 200,000 people that live in a five-mile radius, I want you to pick one. One. One person. Like, if, if someone were to ask you, who's your one? You'd be able to say, oh, my one is blah, 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 right? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pursue that person. I want you to invite them out for coffee or, or dinner or lunch or invite them to your house or invite them to your house church. Invite them to a worship gathering like this and you can give us code. Hey, my one's with me today. We'll say, got it, right? We know what's going on, right? I want to challenge you to find one person and I want you to pray for that person I want you to pursue that person and I want you to look for little ways that you can just share about what Jesus has done in your life. That's simple. 
I want us to focus on our reach right now. I think we need to focus on our reach. We have so many people that do not know Jesus. So that's where we're going as a church. And here's the thing, guys. Boldness will be required. It will. The the moment will happen in the conversation. They're gonna talk about their life. They're gonna open their heart. And you're gonna have that moment to say, Jesus. And you're gonna go, uh, should I say it? Should I not say it? Blah, blah, blah. You're gonna have that battle inside of your heart. Boldness will be required. It will. But the same spirit that filled these disciples is the very same spirit that fills you and fills me. And the effect of that spirit on our life will be boldness. And I think God's still looking for uneducated and untrained men and women who've been with him and who will talk about him. So here's where I wanna close us. I wanna give you these application points. Here's the first thing. This is something only you can do. I want you to embrace the cross. Embrace the cross. Some of you have been going through some stuff and you say, if one more thing happens, if one more thing goes wrong, I'm going to lose it. I'm gonna snap, I'm not responsible. Like I'm just telling you, I'm going to lose my mind if one more thing goes wrong. Here's what I wanna say. The Lord may be trying to do something in you. You might say, I feel like God's trying to kill me. And I'd say, maybe. Maybe he's allowing some stuff into your life that's pushing you to your limits. And what he wants to do is he actually wants to knock the wind out of you so that he can actually begin to build some things inside of you. Embrace the cross. And when you feel like I, I can't go any lower, I just want you to go like a little bit lower, like, like all the way down to the pierced feet of Jesus. Just go all the way down in the cross. If you're someone who doesn't believe in Christ today and you're here with us, I'm glad you're here. And here's what I wanna say to you. Embrace the cross. Like that's the only thing that will bridge that massive void between where you are and where God is. The cross of Jesus is your only hope. You'll never earn your way there. You'll never be good enough. Your good works will never outweigh your bad works. It will never happen. Your only hope is to turn and put your faith and your trust in Jesus. I want to encourage you to embrace the cross. Second thing. You can't do this. I can't do this. God can do this. Be filled with the Spirit. Like as, as pastor, if I could just bless you today, I, I would say this, Lord, fill you. In Jesus' name, Spirit of God, fill you. Fill me, fill us. Embrace the cross. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lastly, we have this phrase, We exist to glorify God and make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life and all the earth. My third is this, bring the gospel. Bring it. Share it. Look for little moments, seeds that you can sow to share 
the gospel. Let's pray together this morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.